Hello, I'm Kristen Perisonotto. And I'm Hannah Ferguson, and we're co-founders of Cheek Media Co. This is the Weekly Cheek Podcast. I really struggle with that, those certain topics like prison abolition where I felt like, oh, sorry, I haven't read the Communist Manifesto. Oh, yeah. fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> but, like, if someone was just like, define socialism, I'd be like, oh, fuck. Like, even the other day when someone was like, you're socialist trash, I was like, oh, what quite does that mean? I want to put that on a T-shirt, but I'm going to Google it first. Welcome back to the Weekly Cheek Podcast. Welcome. Welcome. We today are talking about an issue very close to our heart, I would say. Yeah, I think it is very close to our heart. It probably has a lot to do with why we started Cheek. And the question we're asking ourselves and each other today. I mean, it's about us too. It is us too. Um, Wow. (laughs) What are we going to (laughs) say? The suspense um, is about the progressive left and the movement being exclusionary. Yeah, I think it's about like, you know, the problems of the radical left in being, and I mean, I'm just saying a synonym of what you just said I was going to say, not inviting people and not being very welcoming, (laughs) Yeah, not being very encouraging of especially the sort of center moderate. Actually, that is an interesting place to start because in the past when I have been in radical left, like circles and groups, there have been times that I'm like, Wow, am I centrist? I think I completely agree with that. Like in in the past, I have been engaged in conversation and different movements where I felt like I'm a centrist as well. Like just from the sort of rhetoric that's been around us, I think that there's differences where I felt so far away from the left. I yep. felt like so um, like I couldn't keep up. Yeah. Like I was just every single week was something that I was like, am, am I saying that wrong? I, I felt so afraid to speak. I'm not saying like, oh my God, the left is holding me hostage with, you know, new ideas. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's like that. I think it's the way that we expect people to constantly be across everything and constantly be right and constantly just be so aware of everything new and changing. And it's yeah. really, really tough sometimes. And I don't think that's a conversation that people have a lot. No, I don't think so either. I, and I think that, um, I would assume based on conversations that I've had with people that nearly like most people in these spaces feel like, feel almost like imposter syndrome. Mm. It's like, oh my God, when is someone going to, I, there's just this feeling of like, someone's going to like cancel me for something that I've said or something that I've done. Like I remember, um, I can't even, I can't even think of an example. Um, but even, in, I've been in groups before where it's because I'm vegan, <laughs> um, so I'm better than everyone, oh, obviously. Yeah. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> I still eat the chickens. Um, and I almost felt like there were times when I was in those groups before I was vegan. Well, I wasn't even a vegetarian. I just ate meat and wore leather and all, did all those things. And I would ask, like, we'd be going for lunch and I would ask, oh, is anyone vegetarian? And the answer would be like, oh no, but like, I'm really trying to be like, but I like, I don't eat meat on Mondays. And it's kind of like, that's oh, me. like, it's okay. I'm not either. Like, I do that though. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's a loaded question. It's not because I would ask so I can be like, oh, let's pick somewhere that has something for everyone to eat. But it was taken as a really loaded question that was like, are you like a good, mm. you know, environmentalist? Like, do you care about the animals? Because if you're not vegetarian, then you're like, you know, you don't belong in this radical left space. Yep. Um, and now when, because I was so aware of that before I was vegan, I always like, am, I don't really like saying I'm vegan because of that reason in certain spaces. Like I will only say it like, 
when, you know, someone asks for my dietaries for an event or I get down to like, you know, picking some of the, something off the menu um, because I just feel like it just makes people feel really uncomfortable, mm. which is definitely, I mean, it's not my problem. To no, be, it's like, not. Honestly, at the end of the day, I'm like, it's, it's your problem if you feel bad. Um, that sounds horrible, but it is. Like, it's not, I'm not like going to, you know, give you a whack for eating meat, but it, it does make me feel really conscious of where and when I'm talking about the fact that I don't eat meat and dairy. Wow. Schooled. Schooled. <laughs> um, so what do you think are the problems with the left, the, the primary problems? And and obviously the thing is, is that we are the left as well. Like I would say that when I step back from those conversations, I am part of the radical left. Like I think at my core, my intentions and what I want for politics, what I want for this country and what I want at a global scale would align me as being radical left. Which should be the only quantifier. Yes. But it's not. It's not. I think it's because it comes down to language and getting the terminology of everything right all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that that like sort of exclusionary nature comes from like, you know, I think even taking a moment to enter into a new idea. So say something like prison abolition. Mm -hmm. I think we've talked about this before. I struggled initially with the idea of abolishing prisons and, you know, like, okay, what would we do? Like, I think that I was constantly like, I don't understand. Like if we're not locking away people that are a danger to society, like I don't understand what we would be doing. Like yeah. I, I think that a lot of people that are in jail do, should not be there. Um, I'm totally against the current, you know, criminal age of responsibility in Australia. Like I think I'm a radical person, but when this idea of abolition um, for prisons came in, I was like, I, I don't know. Like I've never thought about that before. I've always just thought serial killer, bad, put away. Like yeah. I, I couldn't go outside of that space. And I think that I felt really excluded from the conversation because I couldn't see beyond that. And then I think I watched like a YouTube video. There's a particular like activist on Instagram I followed who really broke it down. And I was like, oh, I understand what you mean by that now. Yeah. Like I think the idea is quite aggressive when it's actually broken down into what the intention is behind the idea from the left. It really makes sense. And I actually think that's one of the biggest issues that the left faces in terms of getting their ideas across politically because I think that when you say these things like prison abolition, what the far right, the right, and even the centre hears is a lot different to what we actually mean when we say what we want the changes to be to get to that place eventually. Also, the word abolish is just very aggressive. Yeah. I think it's this hardcore language that we use. And I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong, but I'm saying it's uninviting yeah. to the untrained ear. And the other thing is I've been in plenty of spots, and you probably have too, where you hear the term, like when I first heard terms like prison abolition, it's a perfect example because it is one of those ideas that um, does turn people off, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I was like prison abolition like oh that sounds like archaic like mm -hmm. what are, because because when someone just says it in passing it's like it sounds as though we're going to close the prisons and then release the criminals into the wild yeah and i'm like i don't want to be walking down the street and like know that there are rapists and murderers who yeah. were previously in prison because they're you know they're still there out there um who have been previously in prison and have been let go because we've like closed all the prisons but i've in those in those spaces and at those times and in those like events, I have never felt comfortable to be like, oh, like excuse me, what is that? Yeah. And what does it entail? Because then it's kind of like, I don't know. You just feel like, oh, I'm like 
an idiot and I'm not woke enough to be here and I should have, you know, like done some prerequisite reading before coming to this event. Yeah. Um, even if it's just a social event because I'm not prepared and it's just not – often those places are not welcoming spots to – ask questions have a conversation yeah yeah i think the issue being that there's this assumption that you completely bandwagon straight away and you're just expected to always heighten that view all the time and it's exhausting yeah because like and i'm not defensive of anyone in the right when i say this like i'm not saying oh but the left should be nicer like that's not what i'm saying i am the left i don't fucking be nicer i think it's the way that we talk about these things i think it's the academic language Mm -hmm. i think it's this threshold of expectation that's really really high yeah like i don't think that we're very welcoming to say if an older person is trying to learn more and come into more of a feminist space we're still judging them by decisions that they've made years ago even though they've come so far it's kind mm-hmm. of like and something i really struggle with is like when say we see an influencer or someone who's famous or an activist right and we see a 2012 message on facebook where they've sent something der- said something derogatory yeah and we're like cancelled and i struggle with that because i'm like everyone has said something they regret Everyone has done something regrettable. It depends on what it is. Mm-hmm. It depends on how much that action's been changed. It depends on the way that they respond to that being brought up. Like there's a lot of variables in the situation. But I think it's hard because the standards that we hold people to as people are unfair, especially in the left. It's like it's toxic because I think it's like we don't give people room for development and to apologize and say, I'm actually going to do better. Yeah. I think sometimes you don't. I think it's the way that people go about it. I think Georgia Love is another great example. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't sure if I was going to bring this up, but I'm not saying Georgia Love is forgivable if we start there. I think George, so essentially what happened is Georgia Love, who was a former bachelorette, she's quite a popular influencer. She works for Channel 7 News now as a reporter. She posted, a, she shared a video to Instagram that was, um, absolutely racially insensitive it was a racist video that was referencing a cat um it was a video of a cat in the like a window of a restaurant and the the caption was something like um you know is this like the server or you know I thought it was the, the meal patron. yeah yeah is it is yeah is this the patron or the meal referring to the cat yeah and she shared it and as like a funny meme video and obviously copped a lot of flack for it because it's racist. And then she's deleted it, but she's put up an apology on her Instagram. This is a couple of weeks ago now. And the apology that she put up was basically saying like, oh, I didn't even think this was racist. Like that's like not the angle I came from when I saw this video, mm-hmm. which is not how you do an apology. No. when it's, It was like, sorry, you were offended. Yeah. It was like, sorry, you were offended. I didn't mean it that way. Yeah. It wasn't acknowledging that it was clearly racist. And I yep. think that like, I frankly think it's a lie to say something like that. You didn't have that realization or make that connection. Mm. And also, um, but also like it's your responsibility, especially if you have a platform, but just being a, like a privileged white woman in the world. Mm. And she is very privileged, um, to just think about it. Yeah. I don't think it's that difficult to just come out and say like, oh, I fucked up. Yeah. And I promise to do better and this is how I'm going to do better. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that that like cancels out everything that's been done, but I think that's the way you need to approach it is first by just laying on the table that you've done something wrong. Yeah. I think the fact that she was hiding behind like, oh, I didn't intend it that way or I didn't even see that is like, it, it resonates with me in the same way that it's someone who says like, I don't see color. Yeah. Like, Okay. What? How do people not understand that's such a privilege? Yeah, but it's you also don't see just like because you're white and you so, haven't been discriminated. So against. what you're saying is you don't see racism, you don't acknowledge the challenges, you don't acknowledge yeah. the differences. Like I don't think that's tough. And having that conversation is the first thing. Is like you, you, 
ignoring your privilege and negating the entire act itself is the problem there for me. Exactly. And it was just the worst thing she could have done. And I'm not saying, oh, my God, go away forever, Georgia Love. That's also problematic to not give people the space to improve. But I think it's a great example of, like, that's not how you do it. And to circle back, and I think... Um, fits in really well. I think this kind of critique, this kind of critique is not what we're talking about when we talk about the left being exclusionary. Like I think there are very, there are times when stuff like this happens and it's so blatantly obvious for anyone who has any kind of social conscience and who has, you know, like we always say, like done one minute of critical thinking that there are things that you don't do. Mm. And I think that in these scenarios and based on like how these, both of these two white women have responded has been like you totally ignorant exactly you don't even you don't even care like you don't even not even putting in the effort into pretending to care and then there are lots of people who i think are trying really hard and like i know in the past for me um uh, sounds like so well to say oh yay me everyone give me an applause um but like i have tried really hard to you know, make sure that I am putting in my own, um, putting in time to educate myself about issues only to feel like I have like done something wrong in these like very radical spaces because, you know, maybe I have used like the incorrect terminology or maybe I don't know what prison abolition means. And I think, I just think there is a difference. Like you can, I think the left generally certain spaces of the left need to understand when people are genuinely trying to put to put in the time and the effort and genuinely trying to like unlearn a lot of the stuff that we have learned so the thing is i grew up in a small town like there's a lot of stuff that i had to like i had to get with the program when i moved here to brisbane because i was like wow it's mm. like this is not the vibes <laughs> like yeah. i had to do and i i feel like i almost had to pretend like I was like pretend like it came naturally to me and I always knew. That makes sense. But I think in the same space, like I moved from, I, I, like I grew up in my teen years in a country town as well. And, you know, I also came from a family that were very conservative in terms of voting, political views, blah, blah, blah. So I felt like I had to get with the program in different ways too. And I feel like I've tried really hard to do that. Um, and I also hold, hold a lot of shame for what I've said in the past, like, I can remember times in year 11 and 12 where I definitely would have, like, verbally, in front of friends, argued for the Liberal Party. Oh, queen. Queen. <laughs> because genuinely, that's that's all the commentary I heard at home. Yeah. Like, from my parents, like, I mean, again, a lot of it was, like, pro-Malcolm Turbo, which I don't have a problem with still. Yeah. But, like, my parents would say things about the carbon tax or about this or about that or about gay marriage or about whatever. And I would just hear that rhetoric and be like, oh, yeah. oh okay. And I think it's important to understand the difference between like, you know, say like, luckily you weren't tweeting at that time otherwise. <laughs> but I was messaging probably. Do you know um, what I mean? Yeah. But it's not public information. Like I think there is a difference between being a product of your upbringing when you are young and then, putting in the effort to learn more. Like I was talking to someone progressive like a week and a half ago. This is so crazy. I can't believe that it happened. And I was like talking about redacted. I don't want to put in this information, but I was talking about progressive politics and like, um, you know, the whole trope of like, you know, my sister and I have to 
unite for the for the left when we go to family events mm. and she was like is your family conservative and i was like duh excuse me like isn't fucking everyone's like the amount of people who i did not know until that time i'm like wow lots of people have actually grown up with like people she was probably a little bit younger than me but only a couple of years mid-20s i would say has grown up just with like left parents and it's just all being taught to her in her upbringing i was like holy shit like i was like yes they can like my family's conservative i fucking did this myself like yeah. i figured this stuff out myself and i don't think i actually have not i've ever given myself credit for that until this very moment we're talking about it like i've never thought about it that way until yeah. we're talking about it right now yeah i've never been like oh that was actually a good thing that was yeah. like bigger than i thought it was and how many people do you know from like these you know exclusionary left spaces who have just been brought up that way I would say quite a few when I really think about it. And like people who have grown up their whole lives in Brisbane, um, you know, people like I'm, my job is like pretty political now. A lot of people I work with, they're, you know, it's, it's in the family, like politics is in their blood and they understand and they've been involved in, um, you know, volunteering in campaigns since, since they were kids. Mm. Like for me, I absolutely not. Like I had to like, yeah, find those spaces myself and like fill in the gaps myself. Um, and I think that's why it can feel so harsh. Yeah. I think because you go into this space and someone says something that you are like, oh, oh God, like I, I've never heard of that before or I didn't know that was a thing. And I, I, I really, really like retract into myself. Mm -hmm. Like I get really, really upset. I'm like, oh my God, I, I just have to be really silent right now because I don't know what people are talking about. Yeah. And I really struggle with that. Those certain topics like prison abolition where I felt like, oh, sorry, I haven't read the communist manifesto. Oh yeah. fuck. Oh fuck. <laughs> you know, like I get really, it's, it's scary sometimes, you know, that people have, and I haven't taken political science courses and I don't know certain things. And a lot of what I'm talking about is from like, I read the news every day. I do this, I do that. But sometimes the foundational underpinning stuff, I'm like, I'm completely missing this block of information. And I don't know where, where I missed it. Mm. Makes sense now. Yeah. I know where I missed it. Yeah. At home. Exactly. And even just like, even sometimes you, th these terms, like a term like socialism, mm. I'm just like, what? quite is that quite yeah. is that like yeah. i know the idea and i know the basic differences between socialism and communism but like if someone was just like define socialism i'd be like oh fuck like even the <laughs> other day when someone was like you're socialist trash i was like oh what quite does that mean <laughs> <laughs> i want to put that on a t-shirt but i'm gonna google it first not to say like and, and we're not i'm not saying i I don't know anything about these terms, but I don't have a glossary on my wall to refer back to. I don't yep. have like, you know, again, I don't have that exposure to the political theory and a lot of the stuff that underpins the left. Yeah. Um, all I know is that I fucking hate Sky News and Tony Abbott. <laughs> <laughs> Same and many others. But I think um, also on that, something I wanted to mention is the language that the left uses. It is always very academic, I think. Um, or not always, I should say, we're, we're generalizing. But a lot of the times it is very academic and it has a lot of these terms um, that are just not, you know. They're alienating really, exactly, for the reader. Exactly. They're not really in the vocabulary. I've mentioned this before on a podcast. There have been like, I have, ha I have two degrees and there have been times that I've read an Instagram post and I'm like, what is that? That ain't it. Exactly. The thing I think, and I'm not saying that every person in the space of progressive the progressive left needs to be doing this but sometimes what i think is like okay 
as an organization, as a company, as whatever you are, sometimes it's just as powerful to focus on those immediate transitions instead of gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. So what I mean is something like having conversations about what feminism is at its core and breaking down those complex ideas and just having a discussion with someone that may not agree with you is a really powerful thing. And it's also really underrated. Yeah. There is power in being able to disagree with someone in a healthy way. Yeah. And I think that's completely negated in the left. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. like infighting within the left is one of its biggest issues. Right. And I think that sometimes focusing on getting someone who is a very, like very much a centrist or a moderate and saying, Hey, have you thought about it from this way? And this is what I mean when I say this. And this is what I want when I say I'd like climate action. And this is, you know, what we're aiming for. And breaking that down can be a transitional conversation instead of jumping to. And I'm not saying it shouldn't exist, but I'm saying like coming at people from the angle of like something so strong, like prison abolition is so alienating for people who are centrists or in the right. Yeah. And I think that we actually neglect having those core conversations that are close to the middle. And we instead opt for this really radical viewpoint because we think if we go really left and they go really right, we'll meet somewhere in the middle. When in actual fact, I think there's power in having, you know, a great bulk of the left having those powerful conversations with their parents or someone that can be turned at at the voting booth, right? Yeah. That's a huge difference. And that can be more, more powerful change or just as powerful change instead of jumping to the most left idea that you can exactly because then people are not going to join you and i think like we should be um as people who are like left-leaning left wing um whenever i think left-leaning i think it's just like slightly to the left Mm. but yeah the people who are left should our main goal not to be to get more people over here and then the people that you can kind of swing are the people in the center a lot of the people in the right done deal probably not going to come yeah. over especially the more radical right um they're getting old they... not worried <laughs> they'll take care of themselves they can't use phones <laughs> um but it is really important to engage people in a welcoming way yeah. if you actually have your eyes set on the main goal which is to move everyone further left yeah um Oh, that's right. And when you said that um, one of the left's downfalls is the infighting, I also, this, it really bugs me because that's what conservatives say about us. Yeah. Is that, oh, the left. I hate that. Exactly. And I hate that it's a trope that we are like. Accepting? Accepting, but also kind of living out. Yeah. Actively. Executing. Exactly. And I said this in a podcast a, um, a little, like a few episodes ago, um, that one of the things that like the the conservatives also like set they mm. <laughs> so the conservatives do critique us for infighting but they always they also criticize us for being like sensitive snowflakes mm-hmm. and how you know oh it's all about feelings with the left and while i agree that empathy is at the core of most leftist um policies and belief systems i think that we should try to employ some of that empathy for the people that we're having these discussions with who don't fully align with us i just think it's really bizarre like you know a lot of lefties will like die on a hill for fighting for the rights of um you know refugees um indigenous rights you know children in, in prison things like that because it's seen as like those are the people who need um our i guess more privileged voices to join their cause not overpower it join the cause so that change can be made and a lot of the left is you know looking out for and making change in the interest of people who are more marginalized so i'm just not really sure 
where that empathy goes when we are then being exclusionary and very gatekeepy of our spaces. Yeah. Because, and part of me thinks it's just a bit like white saviory. And like, again, white saviory is another term like prison abolition that people just like, oh my God, what you're saying that I can't help. Like, no, please look it up before you get into a fight about it. I think it's more about the fact that people hear the term, which is the leading term in that, out of that topic. Like what's exactly, what is the echo chamber produced that goes onto sky news is like Mm. white saviorism. Yeah. It's a fucking important topic. Yes. And it's a really powerful information as to how you go about doing anything. Right. Yeah. But when someone like fucking Andrew Bolt Mm. gets hold of these terms or fucking Alan Jones, you can see how it's easy to spin. Exactly. And I'm not saying, oh my, we must go through the glossary and we must change. But I think it's about having the conversations that don't try to alienate people by like going this high level complex explanation instead go, what we mean when we say that is. Exactly. And just having that conversation. And I think it, I absolutely agree. We are gatekeeping certain spaces from people. And I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Because our number one priority should be getting people on board. Exactly. That's really my thing. I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't be fighting for prison abolition. I sh- I'm not saying we shouldn't be fighting for all of these things. But I think that the number one priority should be that we go into these other spaces, like talk to our parents, talk to our younger siblings, talk to different people, and actually just have a really comfortable conversation. And not everyone can do this. I can't do it all of the time. I get riled up very easily. And there's people you can't do it with. But and but it's something that I've tried really hard to develop lately, especially over the last, say, 12 months, is especially during the pandemic, I find. I've gone from, like, a really staunch, like, go fuck yourself if you're not getting vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm just a bit like, I, like okay, well, I'm not going to approach someone who's anti-vax. I'm going to approach someone who's vaccine hesitant mm-hmm. and have a comfortable conversation about why they're hesitant. Yeah, exactly. That's so much more powerful for me than, you know, exhausting myself and having a 14-hour lie down because I've just gone to battle. Mm-hmm. Actually, this is really funny. Last night, my partner got really drunk at a grand final game thing, which I violently opposed because it's a grand final. But when... um. When I got home, I was like, so what, what have you been doing while I've been gone? And he said, oh, I've been going on through the Gold Coast Bulletin and commenting against really far-right people. <laughs> he got drunk, went to the grand, watched the grand final, came home and was like, you're a fucking idiot, Rob. Vaccines won't kill you. Like, so that's the antithesis of what we've been saying today. But I'm also like good for you because you've had a big problem with the Gold Coast Bulletin lately because they've been like, Anastasia Palaszczuk closing the borders has reduced numbers for nippers. Like, literally, that was their oh headline the other day. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, David has always had a bit of a problem with the Gold Coast Bulletin. Yeah, it's a really weird thing. <laughs> it is awful. It's a, I mean, it's a Murdoch. I mean, rag. the Courier Mail is that for me. Daily Mail as well, but... Yeah. I think maybe the Courier... Because the Gold Coast is like a pocket of really conservative people. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, I think sometimes the Gold Coast Bulletin is actually even more extreme than the Courier yeah. Mail. Yeah, because they it's have so to. dangerous. Exactly. Um, Sorry, back to it. Back to it. I prefer to. I just love reporting people. Yeah, for misinformation. It's my favorite thing. That, but that's all I can really do for an anti-vaxxer is yeah. go through and report that post. Yeah, that's like the most valuable thing because having the conversation is only going to upset me. And I'm not saying that to activists that do that, that there's no power in that. But it's like the way I like to spend my time is talking to the people that are on the cusp. That just feels right to me. Exactly. And for me reporting it, it's not so much about like, haha, you'll get your video taken down. It's more that, well, hopefully now a few less people will see it. Yeah. Who are, who might be able to be swayed by those opinions. Absolutely. And I think that that's sort of what we aimed for with Cheek. We weren't aiming to go 
into the spaces of like hard left topics, what we wanted to do is get normal political topics and break them down. Mm-hmm. We wanted to look at the facts, the stats, and make politics digestible and accessible for, accessible for people, especially people who are interested in progressive politics. And entertaining. Yes, thank you. And I think just one more thing before we finish. I think that another thing that really bugs me about the left, and I also am like kind of contribute to this, but I try not to, is the, um, first of all, the hesitance to accept slow progress, mm. but second of all, the like refusal to celebrate a win. Um, and this is something we actually wrote about it when we first um, launched Cheat because it was just when um, Trump lost the election. This is a big one for me too. Exactly. And everyone was just like, well, Biden's no, no fucking good either. I'm yeah. like, yes, but he was the other option. There were two options like in, you know, we've got two party preferred politics in most of the Western world, including Australia. Um, for example, the upcoming election that's probably happening next year um, we've got Scott Morrison and we've got Albanese. I don't, Albanese is not my fave. No. I think he is a bit quiet and I think he needs to do more stuff. And I think he needs to be out there more. Good input. But more stuff, do please, more stuff. Anthony. Thank you. No peas and corn. Signed off. <laughs> um, but I just like, those are the two options. Yeah. Like people don't understand that. And I know there are independents, there are greens, but when we're talking about the leader, the major party in control, we have the liberal national coalition and we have the labor party. Well, if the labor party wins, I don't want to fucking see the night of the election, people being like, well, Albanese sucks as well. Yeah. Like he is better and we do need to be like you can take a fucking break and like celebrate a win even if it's small otherwise you're just going to burn yourself out and like be miserable forever also when will you be happy what is the decision or the change that will make you happy exactly because the other thing is like say um in the future the greens become a major party in australia Mm -hmm. and they are making up let's say we have a greens prime minister even when we get there there by that time there is going to be another more progressive small party or independent and we're going to be like why aren't they? Mm. They're, they're better. The Greens have these X amount of problems. Like there are a lot of problems that that grow when you are a major party, like even, and there are specific problems that face the left-leaning major party, which is in its left-leaning when it comes to Australian politics, uh, Australian federal politics. Like it's never going to be, like you're never going to be fully happy, I don't think. And I think that you just need to accept like this is better and this is progress and like be okay with that for even if it's just for a fucking week and then like get back on it mm. i just think that it's just not because th- again that that turns people away because they're like well the left's never happy There's a balance. you can see why we wouldn't be but i completely agree yeah but you can you can be for a day that's the thing like you can be you can be i when biden won the election i was like this is great yeah thank god that man is like gone and we hopefully never have to think about him again but then, where, as things start to progress, when you see what, like, as you when you start to see what Biden's doing, and like his first hundred days in politics was quite astonishing in yeah. a good way. Like, I was really amazed with how much he actually did. Um, I don't agree with him on everything, but I think it's okay to be like that is really great progress for yeah. America, especially based on what they've been through for the last four years. There is a difference, frankly. exactly. If you found us just totally relatable and quirky, come back next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, head to cheekmedia.com.au to tide you over until then. Bye. Goodbye.